Matchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network invite you to discover your mission. A brand new in-depth monthly video series featuring engaging Catholic speakers who will challenge you to live your life abundantly. For only $25 a month, you will receive a personal monthly mission, including three full-length inspirational talks that build upon a new theme each month. Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry today. Welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Dan DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. I am Bill Snyder, and it's uh, great to have you with us, no matter where you're listening from. Thank you so much for tuning in and being a part of the Sewing Hope podcast. Uh, just so you know, we are live here on Facebook. I'm sorry, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all those good things are where you can find us. But we're live on YouTube and also on uh, Podbean. So thank you for being here tonight. Uh, as always, I am joined by uh, my friend and co-host, Ann DeSantis. Uh, so welcome, Ann, and thanks so much for being here tonight, as always. Hey, Bill. Hey, everyone. It's great to be here, as always. Yes, it is. It is. And we have a wonderful guest tonight. Uh, his name is Matt Allner. And uh, if you've been listening to Patchwork Heart Radio, uh, Young Catholics Respond, you have heard him before. Uh, and Matt is uh, just an awesome uh, Catholic evangelist. He's married uh, to his wife, Jessica, and they have four uh, children. He has 17 years of experience in public education. Uh, he is a science teacher. Uh, he has actually worked for NASA doing long flight duration, uh, psychological uh, stuff. Uh, it's just amazing to have him on the program. Uh, Matt, welcome to Sewing Hope, and thank you so much for being here uh, tonight. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate you having me on again. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be a fascinating conversation, as it was the last time, too, Matt. Uh, you know, we got into a little bit of your personal journey last time, but I think we basically want to stick uh, tonight with really the current events of what's going on in the world uh, right now. A lot of uh, a lot of fear still out there in the world. Uh, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about fear and, and uh, religion and politics even a little bit uh, and just how we approach uh, this this time in our culture as as Catholics. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know, feel free to to jump in with questions. I know there's there's uh, viewers that uh, folks are going to be listening if they have questions to to uh, to write in on. Um, I'll you know, I'll do my best to to answer those. Um, but I just you know, being out in the public as a business owner, being around so many different people. Um, my son's baseball team just recently we started practicing this week, and I've been coaching this group of boys for a long time now. They're a very cohesive group. Uh, I still see a lot of the the fears that are going on. Of course, we have the recent events that have erupted up in Minnesota, which are very sad. Um, and then we're seeing, you know, citizens kind of starting to take matters into their own hands. Um, you know, there's just a lot of fear. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much unrest, and uh, there's just this growing divide that's taking place. It seems like between the gap is growing between, um, uh, for sadly, be, between law enforcement and uh, 
civilians and where that trust should be stronger and more, more cohesive. So, um, you know, I just, I mean, I could probably make a list of a hundred things people are afraid of, and there's probably a list 10 times greater than that. So just wanted to kind of touch on the topic, um, in general and, um, and just, you know, let some of your guys' questions with me guide it and, uh, just, uh, you know, hopefully help some of our listeners have some perspective on what they might be feeling and dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, if you are listening on YouTube, uh, you, if you're listening to on YouTube, feel free to use the chat window uh, right over uh, on the right-hand side of the screen, and we'll be able to get your messages, be able to reply to them, and also be able to uh, read your question out on the air. Uh, if you're using the Podbean app, it's the exact same thing. You can uh, chat with us if you're on Podbean, uh, and just go ahead. I'll be monitoring those during the broadcast, so uh, feel free to uh, you know ch- submit your question or comment or whatever you want Matt to respond to, and be happy to uh, get that on the on the air for you in in that way. I know uh, we we don't have the ability to do live calls, but we at least have the ability to um, to to take the uh, the texts. So please uh, feel free to use uh, those chat windows on um, on your screen. Uh, so yeah, I mean I, I think it's a great topic. There is so much fear uh, out there in the world. Uh, you know what are what are people fearing? Right, like like if you had to take a stab at what people are fearful of during this time what we, you know and you know we, we hear the you know terminology we have nothing to fear than fear itself or whatever but you know from from uh, FDR but like what what are what do you think people are fearing well I mean there's a lot of things um, you know I'm I'm just going to kind of go off of you know what what I've experienced and heard and um, you know been a part of in my my own interactions with other people um, I think early on when you know the virus hit and, you know, the stay at home orders all went into place and, and, uh, jobs were considered essential versus non-essential and people weren't working. You know, the biggest fear I think initially were, were two, it was, you know, my health, what is this virus? How serious is it? Um, you know, is this going to be like a bubonic plague where, you know, people are dying all over neighborhoods or, or is it going to just be more something like a common flu? People didn't know. I mean, there were, there were lots of people and myself included that, you know, we, we were skeptical, but we still needed a little bit of time to kind of see what was going to play out. Uh, My wife's a nurse in the hospital. I wanted to kind of hear from, you know, that experience as well as, you know, all the things you're flooded with on the news. Um, And then just kind of take in all that information and start the process of kind of, you know, sifting through and disseminating that a little bit. Uh, but the other fear I think that was very real and it's, you know, no one can question or argue it too much is the financial one. Um, you know, when people were losing jobs um, uh, and the longer it, you know, the longer the, the uh, stay at home orders went on, it, it just started wreaking havoc with the economy and not just, not just in the States, this was happening globally, but I think it's pretty safe to say uh, with, with confidence that our economy was, was by far the strongest at the time that this hit. So it's had that impact. And of course that starts to make people worry about the future and question and wonder. And then, you know, you have, you have young children, like we have, you know, one that's in college just started and another that's going to be graduating next year. You know, that, that uncertainty of being able to provide, you know, those are all things that start to kind of settle in the back of people's minds. And I think for some people more than others, that that fear starts to really paralyze them. And it's, you know, it can cause you to make, bad decisions that make the next decision that much more critical um, where, you know, other people, you know, they just, they kind of go with it and realize this is what we have to work with and deal with. And, and they have a good proper perspective and, 
you know, sometimes it just means you got to start working harder and you got to chisel away at it again. So um, I think those were initially the fears I was feeling from a lot of people. But since then, there's been lots of other fears. And it's kind of funny, you know, I do, you know, my whole, my whole ministry work has been focused on youth. I really follow um, a lot of the, the uh, Salesian Order mission that started from Don, St. Don Bosco. And, um, and interestingly, I was doing this mission long before I even knew who he was. And so as I started learning about him and then started meeting Salesian sisters, um, I was like, man, this guy was my patron saint since I was born. I mean, God put me on this earth to carry on this guy's work. I, and I, I have his fiery attitude. Um, I, you know, I read a lot about him. And so, you know, when I think about Don Bosco, his focus was always youth and that's what my ministry focus has been. And yet that was the thing none of us were really worried about too much was how are our kids doing? We were really trying to take care of our health and, and their health, but, um, but we were so worried about finances and putting food on the table and paying our mortgages and keeping our homes that now after two months, you're hearing tons of people saying, this has really been unfair to the kids. You know, they've had all their sports, their school, all their social interaction, almost every part of their life that outside of family that means something taken away. And now it's looking like it's not even going to be a normal summer where I live. The You know, there's, I don't we haven't heard any word that the pools are going to be open. I don't know how they could be if you're trying to socially distance in a pool. Um, you know, that some of the most special parts of summer are being removed and the kids are going to go back to school and that's not even going to be normal again. So for me, it's about really protecting kids. And there's some funny things. If we have some time, I'd like to share with you that just happened this week when we started our baseball practices at a public park. So, um, you know, those are just a few of the things I know the list is longer, but, uh, feel free to, you know, chime in some thoughts on that as well. Now, you know, you, you bring up some really good points. Uh, and do you have any, uh, a, anything for Matt too? Cause I don't want to hog whole conversation, but Matt, you got so much, uh, stuff packed in there, Matt. It's, it's so good. Well, I just love the topic. And I know, Matt, when you emailed Bill and I about what we were going to talk about, you said fear, politics, and religion. And I just think it's perfect. And what you brought up about the children and young people, I think it's so important for all of us to recognize that, you know, we as adults, okay, we're affected. We're affected in many ways, uh, financially and, uh, and in other ways. And just the way things are, you know, during our day, during our work day, the way that the, that things run and how we're home all the time. But for them, as you said, Matt, I mean, it's affecting them in, in really many ways that we may not even think about. And even with the summer coming and, and not maybe not even being able to get to the pool or outside to, to hang around with friends, uh, it's something for us to really pray about and think about. So I appreciate that you brought that up. I think it's very important. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, it was, it's kind of funny t uh, this Tuesday of this week, we had our second baseball practice today. And uh, on Tuesday, we had our first practice. And I always start with a little parent meeting. Most of the parents, you know, we've known each other for years, but I always like to just touch base with them and kind of lay out a few things for the year, just, you know, a few little housekeeping items. And um, of course, this year was different. And I said, you know, we're going to have a shortened season this summer. Chances are we're not starting until July 6th. That's the date I've been told, but it's still not firm. Um, you know, we're starting practices early because a lot of the boys didn't have their spring high school season. So they're really starting the summer rusty. I mean, and they are, I mean, they're out of shape. They haven't been throwing. I got to take it very slow. I don't want to injure anybody's arms and stuff. But I told the parents, I said, you know, you know, my focus has never been about winning, but we've always won. 
every year we get into the championship and you know this it's very rare we don't win but that's not the goal i always start slow i always kind of put the kids in a tough situation where their record's not usually great in the beginning because it makes them work if it comes too easy too early they start to slack off and then they have problems going into the end of the season we always struggle so i was kind of telling them i said you know this summer all i want this to be about is getting normal back for the boys I said, I seriously am not going to care at all about winning. I'm going to be playing the boys in a lot of positions they've never played. I want them to have fun. And we've been doing so many team building activities, so many um, so many activities over the year to slowly build. Because what my goal has ultimately been working with them in the summer, because it's separate from the high school programs, is I want them to see one of two things. When they go back to high school and they're involved in any activity, whether it's just being in a classroom um, another sport or baseball, if that's what they play at the high school, I want them to see and compare the norms, the norms of our summer versus the norms of those teams. And what, what a lot of the boys have found, which is why they stay with us, is that there's there's just so much negativity, so many clicks, so much politics that comes in and sports in high school has almost becomes like sports in college where it's almost like a job, like a business and it's year round and, and kids just aren't allowed to, to really just be athletes and, and have that well-routedness that just kind of, um, you know, mentally gives them rest from one sport and lets them transition to another. So um, it's been really neat to see, uh, you know, how supportive our parents have been and just about this summer, we just want to make this fun. So since Tuesday already, and this is, our boys are older some of them can drive and pick up other boys. They've already done two hikes up in the mountains together. Today they got together after practice and went out and had lunch together. They spent the entire day together. I mean, and what's kind of nice to some degree is that there's not a whole lot else for them to do. They really can't go too many places. They can't go to the movies. So they kind of have to take a step about 40 years back in time and enjoy each other the way a lot of us grew up. And we, we brag about how special that time was. And if you only knew and, and, and now's the time for us as parents to engage and help our kids see that beauty and really if, if our old normal comes back, they can reject those things that were bad, that really were chiseling away at the good, and they can keep the things that were good and embrace those things moving forward. So, I really like that, Matt. I really do. Um, that was, you know, I, I'm a big baseball fan. I love watching baseball. I'm just, you know, I, I'm in a baseball hat right now, even though uh, listeners can't see me. But, um, you know, <laughs> I, I just am a huge, I'm just a huge baseball fan. And, I, I think there's so many things that are important about, um, you know, the team sports. And and I, I bet you that your boys have less fear in their heart right now because they're together. They're, I mean, like, like, like we just said, they spent the whole day together. They spent hanging out. You know, there's not a whole lot of other things for them to go do with their time. Like, I, like I bet you if, if they, just by the strength in numbers, not even, you know, talking about the faith aspect yet— Right. If if you were to, you know, ask them like, OK, are, are they fearful? No. Why? Because they were able to create a bond together that, uh, you know, a, a commonality. Right. Like that's a that, that's a real thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's almost a perfect time to slip in um, to slip in some some politics with this and, and mention social distancing, because you said that what you said was so true, you know, 
they're probably not as fearful because now they're coming together and they're getting their friends back and they're feeling this bond, this cohesiveness. And you're absolutely right. And that's one of the things I actually was talking to the boys about today. Um, we had a situation Tuesday where um, the facility, I think he was the facility manager of this huge park that we were at, um, was stopping in his truck and looking at us out in the field. There was another group. There was a swim team. Sadly, they don't have a pool to swim in, so they're out doing workouts. I told our, my boys, I said, you know, be, uh, be very thankful that we uh, get to actually use our regular equipment. I'm like, can you imagine practicing in a pool by running around here and doing workout? <laughs> so, so anyway, he was taking pictures of us, and I knew what he was doing. And eventually he came over. And uh, we were finishing up our practice in a, in a circle, just, you know, I was just doing my, my normal closure talk with the boys. And um, he said, he goes, Hey, um, and he, he was polite. And he said, he goes, Hey, uh, you guys are in a group of 10 or more. Um, I, I need you to socially distance. You need to be six feet apart. And uh, you know, I had a problem with that. Um, I didn't turn it into a huge deal, but um, I just said, really, I said, well, you guys should have been here Saturday policing the park when there were 500 people here. No one was doing anything like that. And I said, you know, I don't mind you asking me to do that as long as you're consistent and you're doing it all the time while people are here using the park. So if you're just picking and choosing the groups that you're going to ask, I said, it's kind of discriminating a little bit, in my opinion. And I just said, you know, I'm just trying to create normal for our boys. And I said, and they look up to me to provide that for them. And, and so um, I didn't make a big deal about it. He goes, well, he goes, it's either me going to be telling you or the sheriff. And right then I had a problem. And I was like, I said, well, then maybe we just need to get the sheriff down here and uh, we can all have a little talk about the constitution and the, and the first amendment. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, I was expecting something today, <laughs> so, um, but uh, nobody was there and no one, no one uh, caused any problems with us. And, uh, uh, but, you know, just talking to the boys a little bit about that, I said, you know, there's, you know, there's some good things about staying away from people when people are sick. I mean, during a flu season, we do this with our kids all the time. We don't go out to restaurants and eat. Um, we're, we're a lot more cautious when the flu is at its height because we just don't like being sick. It's just no fun. I mean, that's just, we're not worried about the death aspect of flu, which that's still real, but we're, we just don't want to be sick or throwing up or, you know, going through the body aches and all the things that come with the flu. It's just not fun. Plus you pass it around a house when you have kids, it's just, you know, and it can last for two months and it's miserable. So, you know, we do that anyway, but I was explaining to my boys today, you know, social distancing um, is becoming more political now simply because what's happening is the kids, you know, the, the people, people that convene in numbers are powerful. They have strength, right? I mean, we have strength in numbers. Jesus said, you know, wherever two or more pray, I'm present. I mean, he didn't say just pray alone. He wants you to pray with more than one. So there's strength in numbers. And when your numbers exceed, you know, 10 and they, you know, they, or they expect you to socially distance regardless, they're not letting you get close. They're not letting, they're breaking that bond of cohesiveness. And, you know, whether it is intended with the health aspect or if it's political, well, they just, you know, are trying to leverage people. Um, I don't want to get into that aspect of politics right now because everyone's got their opinions on it. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we have strength in numbers. And when we're being prevented uh, from doing that, it's, it's um, you know, there's a concern. I mean, I can't imagine playing baseball, never coming in close contact with teammates. Um, I mean, can you imagine playing um, baseball where coming off the field, playing defense, you were told you can't be in a dugout with your buddies in between while you're waiting to hit. You have to stay spread out. You can't be in a dugout. You got to put a mask on when you come off the field. These are the rules that have been laid out for the men's league here in town in Colorado Springs for the summer. 
Uh, I'm not playing in the men's league anymore, but I, I told some of my friends, I'm like, are you seriously that desperate to play baseball? You want to conform to those norms to play it? I, I said, man, you love the game way more than I do. I said, I love my freedoms much more. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, you were that's honest. just me. Yeah, it's just, no, I, I love hearing. It's me, so. I love uh, hearing. Yeah, I mean, you, it's just, Beth, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. Yeah. Thank you for sharing on that because I'm just visualizing your interaction there with a the sheriff or whoever he was. And uh, I give you credit that you stood for what you believe and, and the truth, right? Because I mean, we're in a time that, it, you know, it will take time for us to get back to normal, but we pray to God that it won't take too long. I mean, wow. uh, I think that's what it comes down to. We just pray that this whole process isn't going to be, you know, a couple year thing. Because I don't know if all of us uh, really want to do that. Yeah, I don't Not think that it's we're... about what we want. We want what's the common good, what's best for society. But um, we have to draw the line somewhere, I guess, with uh, yeah. between safety and freedom. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I, I mentioned in the notes for tonight was, was fear versus panic and kind of that concept. And it's kind of a good place to slip this in right now. Um, you know, I think what's, you know, you got you got a lot of different types of people in the mix here. And I guess I could probably make this strong assumption with some confidence that it would be politically. Um, I think you have some political people that are, you know, they're not worried and fearful of this at all. Um, I think our president's been one of them. You know, you haven't seen him wearing a mask. Um, you know, he's, he's been taking a, a drug to be preventative has been, um, you know, been supportive of it. It, it. I don't want to get into things with President Trump, but that's just one example. You see, you see other politicians that have their masks on all the time. Um, you see, um, um, and, but then you see people on both those on both those. I shouldn't say extremes; it makes them sound bad. But you see, you see people on both those sides of the coin, mask wearers and non-mask wearers that that have taken. You know, my freedoms are being attacked to the extreme and now they're panicking because of that. And you also see people that feel like their health is in such jeopardy because everybody won't wear a mask that now they're in a panic state. And what happens is when you when you when you push the line on either direction, you know, when I when I was living in California, we used to surf. We called it being gun ho and gun shy. If you're if you're too gun ho and you just charge everything and you're never processing safety and thinking about the situation you're going to get yourself into before you get into it, you're not prepared. And if you're not prepared, you're going to, you're going to run into a situation that's going to make every decision after that so much more critical leading up to your death. If you make the wrong decision, whereas the other person on the other end of the spectrum that overanalyzes all the precautions and is so gun shy, they hesitate all the time that puts you at risk of death as well. And that's kind of what you, you, you start to see people, when they let their fear absorb too long, they start to they start to move themselves to the to either end of the spectrum where they're in the panic state. And once they hit that state, most people just aren't making very good decisions anymore. It's when they start doing things out in public, and you're seeing it. Um, you know, if, sadly, we had a police officer, um, and I don't know the whole story, and I have not seen all the video. I just know what I know. Um, but you know, sadly, we had another um, civilian that was a victim of. Um, of an arrest and, and, um, and what happened with the officer. And now look at everything that spawned from that. Um, I mean, everyone that's, you know, waiting for an opportunity to hate just jumps on the opportunity. You got celebrities dialing in, um, their comments on it. Um, 
you know, you got civilians standing outside of business owner shops with ARs because they have a right to carry um, and they're protecting from looters. Uh, it's just, you know, just takes an event and it just sparks um, it sparks an, an enormous amount of frustration that is just sitting under the surface. And, you know, we just, you know, we have to be kind of empathetic. I think of people as we're out in public right now, we just don't know what people are going through. I mean, people have been unstable leading up to the COVID um, and I've seen it out where I live quite a bit. Now it's just, I mean, people are a fuse waiting to go off and you just don't know. So you have to, you don't have to run around being afraid of people, but you need to be, I think, extra respectful. Um, and I used to tell students when I was teaching, you know, there, I read a statistic somewhere and I, I shared it one day in class and it's, it was maybe sounded a little crazy, but it was, a, it was a statistic and I don't know how they calculated it, but that they said that you walked in your lifetime, you walked by six serial killers. Well, I remember reading this and it was a scientific study that was done and that was scary. I was kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, and I think of, you know, I've been in places before walking around and seeing people that just give me the craziest vibe. And I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to leave. I just need to remove myself from the situation. And um, Mm -hmm. you, you use those instincts to get yourself in a safer spot, but you know, sometimes you can't, sometimes there's a short engagement, you know, there's eye contact, there's close proximity and you know, what, what I've always done with every single person I see, I, mean, I, I stop and just visit the homeless people when I'm stopped at a light coming off the interstate and they're standing there. You know, I, I don't know. I don't usually give money. I'll give food or water if I have it, but I'll always engage with them verbally and I'll be so kind. And I'll, you know, usually if, it, if I feel the time's right, I'll even ask them, Hey, could we, would you do something for me? Would you pray for me? And would it be okay if I prayed for you? And just sometimes you just don't know what people are going through and you don't know if, people are at that tipping point where a perceived judgment, a a perceived um, act of, you know, unkindness on your part is just what it would take to set them off in a store or a shopping mall and the unforthinkable thing happens, you know, but, you know, you, you just have that kindness and sometimes that's all people need just for that moment. And sometimes they just need to get through that moment. So, you know, the, the fear versus panic thing is, is, um, it's always been a real important thing to me. And I learned so much about it, surfing, climbing, um, as a rescue diver, because ultimately you learn how to deal with your own fear. You never really, you never really, I think, uh, you know, I don't think you ever really completely tackle your fear and eliminate it, but you learn how to not let it control you. And that's the important part of fear. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of people need to really take a look at is my fear controlling me um, versus do I have control of it? And the best way to do that is to face your fears. You can't, you know, push them in the subsurface. You can't avoid them. You got to face them head on. So, yeah, you know, Matt, you know, you you brought up a really good point too about, Ann and I say this off the air and on the air quite a bit uh, about just the, about the care and compassion uh, in in the Catholic church. Right. And, and how you uh, just detail like, okay, I'm stopping. I'm going to say hello to a homeless guy. Like, you know, and, and I'm going to ask him to pray for me and I'm going to pray for him. Like, like if, if we all did that, if we all took the time as, as Catholics, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about the, uh, you know, the doctrine and dogma, but, 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 but we often don't get, uh, down in the nitty gritty of like, okay, how am I serving my fellow man? And, and because as you said, you don't know where somebody is, you know, if they're at the tipping point, you know, I mean, they, you know, they could be one bad conversation away from, 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 a, you know, a, a, 
an active shooter situation or, or something crazy going on. And so just just being having that kindness and compassion and 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 knowing all right, like I'm going to act on even if, even if I'm a little bit fearful, even if I'm a little bit uh, on edge, I'm still going to act and I'm still going to say, you know, um, hey, how are you? God bless you. You know, of course not give them money, but 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 help them with you know, if you got food or water, as you said. There are so many things that we can do during this time to help those in in need that um and 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 that they can do to help us too because they don't know where we are either you know um so so i think uh you know just having that exchange and, and hearing that from you is such an important piece um of the puzzle during during this time for sure Absolutely. you read you read my mind i just have to say bill read my mind <laughs> that uh you know, the heart of Sewing Hope podcast is exactly what you said there when you brought up the word empathy, because uh, whenever I hear the word catechesis, you know, we, we think of the catechism of the Catholic Church and all the gifts that we've been given. Um, and yes, some of them are rules and regulations, but part of being catechized is what you said. I mean, and we can't forget that part of being well catechized is remembering that homeless person is remembering to empathize with people who maybe aren't as fortunate as we are, even as far as our spirituality, they may not be as, um, you know, as gifted as we are in understanding faith and, and religion. So thank you both for, for bringing that up. And uh, that's a blessing. And I know that one of the other things that you mentioned, Matt was coping with fear I wondered if you could touch on that too, because not only is there fear versus panic, but we also have coping with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of made a statement at the end of my um, last statement, just with, you know, facing your fears. Um, it's not easy. That takes courage. And I think courage is the, I think it's the one thing that I feel isn't really taught. I think you, uh, you have to acquire it. And I think, I think courage comes from being put in very tough situations where you're really stressed and you, you have to, I think, at least for me personally, um, when I think back into my life and, and where I gained my courage on an athletic field, having the courage to take a hit, uh, to fail in front of fans, um, that just came, that came natural over time because you start early, you know, you, your fans are pretty much parents, but then it becomes people you don't know. And then it becomes huge audiences of people that, you know, pay money and think they can say anything to insult you while they're watching you perform. So you, you learn, you learn to get irritated and, and how to shut people up. You learn how to laugh at it a little bit, which sometimes makes them even more upset. I mean, you just, you just, you learn different coping mechanisms, but, um, but in life, the coping mechanisms are different. And it's, and it's funny when I was doing research with NASA, I, I got to work with um, a researcher by the name of Dr. Cheryl Bishop. She uh, works at the University of Texas Medical Branch in, in Galveston. And uh, I, I just, I met her in, in China. She was presenting right before me. I didn't know who she was. I loved her research topic. And she actually was presenting on a, on a, a research study she had done at a place I was going to be a research subject at just in about six months from when I was giving my talk. So I asked her, I said, hey, is there any way I could collect some more data for you? I'm going to be at the MDRS. And so she's like, great. So we started collaborating. Well, as I started learning more about her research, I was fascinated because one of the things she was really intrigued on was stress and coping mechanisms when people are under enormous amounts of stress, but specifically in isolation and confinement. And she was doing um, saliva tests. She was looking for levels of cortisol um, in, um, in, in saliva samples, spit samples people would take. Um, 
And uh, but then she she would she would back that up with survey data, psychological assessments she would give uh, uh, people at a baseline uh, before they were in the stressful environment. Um, at the midpoint of a mission, when they were most likely under some stress, and then at the very end of the mission, and she would kind of compare all the data. Well, the the thing I learned the most out of all of that was stress and coping and how people um, deal with different types of stress. And, and I was a subject of my own study. So what I found interesting was that I was actually more stressed before I went on the mission than everybody else on the trip. Um, <laughs> wow. I was, I was the least stressed and almost had zero stress at the mid mission point. And then my stress started to come up just a little bit as I was getting ready to go home. Well, you know, I kind of joked around with everybody. I said, well, I know my own data, so I'm just going to just, even though I know it's a breach, I'm just going to share it. I said, that's my data point. They're like, what? You're the opposite of everybody else. I'm like, yeah, my parents have been telling me that since I was a kid. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Maybe I, they're uh, listening. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I told them I was on, so I don't know if they're listening. But, um, but I, said, I said, well, the only difference is, is that everybody that came here, only two other people were married, but I was the only one married with kids. And my stress wasn't from my family or my kids. My stress was leaving them. I was I was nervous to leave them because it's you know it's kind of like when military special forces or SEALs or anybody in the military goes off to combat. You know, if you don't have things in order at home, there you know you're mentally not all there when you leave, and you need to be focused and you need to know that everything's good so that you can focus on your mission while you're gone. Well everything was fine, but it was my first time really away for a long period of time. Um, other than one other trip I'd been gone and I just, I just had some, you know, I had a lot of work to do a lot of things going on, but anyway, um, the mechanisms people use to cope, um, there's positive and there's negative and there's a whole category of things that we can choose. Um, you know, you've seen, I've talked to a lot of police officers during that. I, that I know on the department here in monument where we live, I've asked them how things are going. Um, you know, since, since all of this started and, um, the number one thing they said they saw a huge rise in, um, was alcoholism at home and, uh, with parents and then, um, a lot of depression and suicide that was going on with, especially with teens. And as I was, as he was actually telling me this, he got a call for a suicide. It came over his radio and he had to leave. So, um, you know, some people aren't choosing positive coping mechanisms and it, and it may be a variety of things. Maybe they're just not available. Um, maybe they're just not things they're used to, but there's a lot of things that we can do. And, and of course, a lot of it is social. So when that piece was removed, it, it just naturally pushed, I think, a lot of people to negative coping mechanisms and not being able to you know, deal with whatever situation they were in. So you know, being able to cope with, uh, with fears and uncertainties, all these things, um, it's the first thing it's going to affect is our level of depression, but then that's going to escalate things further and, um, and turn into, you know, personal or individual health or safety. So, um, you know, I just, I really encourage people to, you know, come up with a list of, with a list of things you enjoy doing. That's your coping mechanisms and just do it, have a schedule. If you can't do all of them every day, pick one, do one a day, even just that little bit of reset, um, you know, to start your day and end your day with that, whether it's prayer, whether it's um, exercise, going on a hike, talking to someone you care about on the phone or in person, you know, give yourself that at the beginning and ends of the day and, and give yourself a half hour to an hour because it, it really, it just unloads your stress. It, it lets you, if there's any stress still when you wake up, it lets you set that at zero before you start your day and you go interact with people 
And at the end of the day, I think that's the greatest thing that sports has given a lot of kids over the years, at least from what I've seen, is it's a great reset. You know, long day of school, you're mentally drained, and now you just go out and physically exert yourself in an environment for an hour or two. You get all that stress and crud out of your system. You go home, you maybe do a little bit of homework, and then you crash. And then you wake up and you do it all again the next day. And again, that goes back to the concerns I had earlier when all these activities for kids shut down. I mean, were kids getting that same exercise? Were they getting that same social stimulus interaction that helped them de-stress? Those things were being removed from kids. And that was my concern for them. It wasn't just so much, you know, poor kids, they don't get to go play sports. It was more, it was more what sports does for kids. And it's just that, that break from, you know, the adult world, from the seriousness and of, of the, the real world and just letting them go to that play place where they can just be kids and just be creative and have fun. And um, we, we've, I think as adults right now, this is where I feel I'm at is that it's my job right now to fight for that. These kids can't do this themselves. They can't go out. I mean, they can, but we've taught them to be, be so respectful of adults. It's our job as adults to step up to the plate, do the hard job Jesus did, carry our crosses, take our criticisms, take our beatings a little bit if we have to, and, and protect our kids and not just physically protect them, protect them psychologically, protect them uh, mentally, um, and if, if need be physically. But we need to protect our kids. We need to push and get their normal back. Not our normal, but their normal. They need that. And and I, I think kids are looking to adults right now without even thinking it and just and just saying, you know, are you going to lead for me? Are you going to be that brave warrior and, and take that stance? I mean, this is what I was doing Tuesday in front of my boys. I did it again today. I was kind of waiting for the confrontation, and even though deep down I didn't want to really deal with it, but I was prepared. I was very prepared today for what was going to happen. Um, you know, I think we, we a lot of good leaders are good at setting kids up for for being the right type of leader. But when push comes to shove and that, that reality of losing something, whether it's a job, whether it's an advancement as an athlete, um, you know, something you've worked hard for, like a scholarship to go to college or, or it doesn't matter when that reality is there, that's when people paralyze and freeze and they start to think about what they're going to lose. But I always try to remind people that's where Satan likes to sit. He likes to sit right in that crack of uncertainty and he just plant, he doesn't even plant a lot of seeds. He just plants a couple, just enough to get you thinking. And then your mind just takes off from there. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have to realize this is Satan scaring me. And this is why I got to push. I got to keep going in this direction because God's telling me this is where I need to go. Um, you know, the third part of our talk today was about religion. And, you know, I would just ask the viewers to ask yourself this question. And really, rather than have me give you all the places in the Bible to go to, to find this, spend some time. You can do quick Google searches and find a lot of this stuff. It's very simple. And then dig into your Bible and spend an hour. It's really interesting, but uh, see how many times you can, you can find uh, a passage in the Bible. that says not to have fear or to fear not, or not to have anxiety from what I was told by a priest a long time ago, out of all the things Jesus said in his time and in the new Testament, um, not having anxiety and fear was the number one thing he said over and over. And yet, what is it that we were talking about? This whole program was about what? Fear, how to cope with it. Um, I want to go back to the science thing for just a minute. When I was doing this work with uh, uh, Dr. Um, Cheryl Bishop, 
um, I, I kind of confronted her a little bit about this, but in a nice way. I always like Cheryl and I still do. She's a wonderful woman, um, but she wasn't religious. And so we came from two different worlds with our thinking scientifically. And I had a problem with one of the questions on her survey. There was a question that said, do you pray more often than normal? And it was in the stress assessment. But I didn't really know which questions were categorized as positive coping and which ones were categorized as negative coping. So I asked her, I said, I'm very curious. I said, did you put the question about praying more often than not in the positive or the negative coping um, category? She said, it's a good question. She goes, I, I put it in the negative. I said, really? I said, why do you think praying would be negative? She goes, well, it's not so much that praying is negative, but it's an indication of um, that you're under stress. I said, well, I understand, but you still put it in the negative coping category. I said, wouldn't it be positive? And she, you know, we just kind of had a conversation. I kind of went back and forth a little bit. I said, I said, can I give you a different perspective on that question? I said, I answered yes. But in your, in your survey, your study, you would have penalized me. Now, if you would have been charged with the NASA astronaut selection process, and I were up on, say, the International Space Station for, say, a two-year mission, and I were answering yes to that over and over and over again, people on ground control would start to get pretty concerned and they might actually bring me home early. I said, but what if I'm praying more because I have time and I don't have as many distractions to, that kept me from praying when I was here on earth or wherever I came from to do my mission? I said, had you thought about that at all? I said, Cheryl, I said, listen, if you look at how I answered the question at the mid-mission point, I said, I pray more now than I did throughout the whole thing, yet my stress was lower. Now, I could say that it was helping me because I was really stressed. I said, but to be honest, I got up an hour before everybody every morning, and I would sit and start my morning with a half hour of prayer because I want to do it more in my life. But when I'm home, I have so much to do and so many distractions I don't get to. So I said, I think you might want to change your survey. <laughs> Anyway, so, you know, that's just kind of that stress and coping thing. But really, I I encourage the listeners to, you know, get into the Bible, find out what kind of quotes you can find on fear. Um, Even look up quotes on politics. I found some great ones. Um, One in particular came out of Acts. Um, It was, and I got it right here. It's uh, chapter five, verse 29. It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Um, I mean, I, that's my challenge of the day for everyone listening. If you say you're a patriot, if you say that you love your God and this nation was dedicated to God when it started, you're going to have to say no to, to some, some authority. I mean, I, I as much as I don't want to turn everybody into you know rebels out there, um, I mean, our rights are being taken away. You can look at it however you want, but our rights are being taken away. And they're going to slowly give them back to us at best, slowly. And how they've already talked about schools reopening is a classic example. I mean, there hasn't been one source that said, you know, that I've heard that has said, don't worry, our schools will be open as normal. Kids will all come back. They'll go back to classes. I've heard combinations of online and showing up certain days of the week. And it's like my son's senior year is next year. And I watched his friends get their prom and their graduation stripped away from them this year. I don't want this to be for my son, um, but it's not as easy as going and complaining to the school board and to the school. It's, it's much bigger than that. But, you know, we have to obey God. If, if we can, if we can disobey man, other 
other people, but not break the commandments, we're doing God's work. Um, and it's what the disciples did, right? There were people telling them to stop doing what they're doing. They told Jesus to stop. You know, he was always polite. He was always respectful. But sometimes he would respond verbally and he would say things that would upset them, but it was only because they were true. And if we speak truth, and that is law, that is our constitution, if we speak that truth and we do it with respect and dignity, they will still hate us. And Jesus said this at the Last Supper, the world will hate you, right? But remember, it hated me first. We have to, we have to take, take so much counsel and confidence in that, that we're not alone and God will be with us. He'll help us with the words we need to say. He'll help us navigate the very slippery slope that we're on, but we have to have the courage to do ultimately what Jesus did and, and take the persecution and take the criticisms. And we even know how the story went with Peter. Peter was the strongest disciple and he failed him three times, but um, you know, but Jesus still built his church on Peter and Peter was incredibly strong um, uh, you know, after the resurrection. So, you know, I, I encourage the listeners to really check out the passages and also look into some of the passages that are there that regard unjust laws and look at some of our um, former leaders like Martin Luther King and some of the things they, some of the saints that the, he quoted um, who had made comments about unjust laws during their time of persecution. So some great things to, you know, really do some research and some homework on. Yeah, no, you've got some great things, Matt, uh, great suggestions for, for, for listeners. And, um, you know, having courage and stepping into the, the, the breach, you know, uh, so Satan wants us to roll over. Satan wants each and every one of us uh, to, to roll over and um, not, not have an end to this. And you're, and you're exactly right about uh, just law and unjust law. Um, and, and when you take a look at that inside the you know, catechism of the church, uh, you take a look at that, you're, you're going to find um, that, that absolutely our, our duty is to obey God first. And, uh, you know, if there, there are, I mean, I think the most classic example of, you know, unjust law that I think most Catholics are familiar with, uh, if, you're, if you're Christian or you're non-Christian and you're listening to this, uh, like I know some of our listeners are, um, you know, what, what, what we believe about the uh, dignity of the human, human life um, and, and abortion is, stands in direct, you know, direct opposition to um, what the laws are in this country. And so, um, you know, you, you, you look at that and you have to stand, you have to stand up for life. And I, I know people, uh, one of my, um, you know, former, uh, friends out here, not even a former friend, just a a acquaintance, uh, Joe Scheidler, um, Joe has been to, uh, the head of the pro-life action league here in Chicago for many, many years. And, um, he's been to the Supreme court three times with the same case, with the same case. Uh, and he finally won the case. Um, you know, it, called Now versus Scheidler, a national organization of women against Scheidler, um, and and he's had paint thrown in his face. He's he's oh, wow. yeah, he's had people, um, you know. But 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 here we are. Like this is the this is the time where you know, and and Joe's now, uh, you know, I think, you know, you know much older. Um, but but what's unbelievable about him is that he will be standing in Chicago, you know, um, if, on on the coldest days of the March for Life in Chicago, you know. Uh, in negative five degrees out there, and and he's and he's down on the street corner, you know, praying and and working uh, it, to 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 uh, you know right the wrong. And so, 
you know, and, and, and tell people that we have a responsibility first. So, you know, to, to God and then to, and then to man. So, um, you know, certainly there's the unjust law and just law, uh, but, but yet you have, you have just given us a good challenge to, to look it up and, and to say, all right, you know what, let me familiarize myself with what God says about, uh, you know, be not afraid. And let me also familiarize myself about what, what says, uh, you know, do not, do, uh, do not prepare your defense beforehand. Just, just go with what the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. And there are there are so many keys to that in 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 our culture today, you know, uh, in our in, in this time right now during this coronavirus, uh, that that we have to rise up and we have to you know look at this and and judge it from God's eyes, not from man's eyes, and that's and that's hard. That's some really difficult stuff to do. It's, that's a heavy topic to 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 think about, but we really have to do it, and so. Uh, I, I encourage you all to uh, to do exactly what Matt said. Take a look at the Bible. Um, you know, I I believe it's like 365 times Jesus says, "Be not afraid," or some variation of "Do not have anxiety, do not worry, be not afraid." That's like 365 times. Well, that's one for every day. So wake up and be not afraid, right? Yeah, oh, and so it's good. the hardest. It's the hardest thing for us to do, isn't it? Oh yeah, it is. It is. I mean this. This show has been great, and I, I appreciate hearing your story and some of the things that you've discussed about uh, religion, politics, fear, all of these things right now, because as you said, God is first. And, you know, we always have to question authority, I think, you know, not saying that we don't obey authority, but we should question it, right? Because not not everything that's presented in front of our faces is always going to be right. And, and and we need to think twice. So um, I think that's good. I want to comment on one thing that you said about reset, um, resetting our minds and how important it is for all of us, but especially young people uh, during this time and any any time, because we all need rest. We all need uh, refreshment. We all need um, some type of reset in our minds, especially when there is some kind of anxiety that we're presented with like right now. So I just wanted to say thank you for that uh, comment, because I think we all need to hear that, whether you're an adult or a young person. So very good advice. Thank you. It's been, it's been a pleasure being on the show. And um, you know, if, if some of the listeners have questions i don't know if there's a way that they can contact um any of us or even if you want to contact me um you're welcome to through my website i don't know bill if you if you put that up or not or if it's on your website but however however they might have questions i also have um two good resources that actually work professionally in this arena depression and suicide for teenagers that um they, they're obviously they live here in the springs where i live but uh um they're a a wonderful source of information and guidance and support if uh, there's people out there that need it we just don't we just don't i don't want we don't want anybody feeling like they're alone because you're not um but it's it's easy to feel like that at times when when you know, get a little down the dump so um just just know god loves you we care about you as well and um you know we want to help you as much as we can yeah, absolutely, Matt. And you know, for for our listeners, we will stick uh, in the uh, podcast show notes uh, during the live broadcast. Uh, we can't do it, but uh, I but I will put Matt's website uh, and and all his information in the show notes. So when you head over to our podcast feed after the show, 
uh, you can grab all of his show notes and, and get in touch with Matt. I mean, Matt, why don't you give us a little bit about, you know, I mean, I, I, I know you work with, uh, you know, Catholic speakers and you're a Catholic speaker and you work a lot with youth, but why don't you uh, take a little bit of the time and, and talk with people about how they can uh, bring you out to their groups and, you know, how they can get in touch with you and, and, and the other stuff you're doing just because I know that, um, you know, that's an important thing to, to, to support our Catholic speakers during this time of COVID. There's no, there, there's no live events. Yes. Amen. Well, I appreciate that support. I, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I have a, a couple of businesses, a consulting and a, and a painting business. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been able to do pretty well through, through all this. I mean, things have slowed down a little, but you know, I've been good with my money. And so, um, you know, the really just the speaking for, for, um, um, you know, for employment isn't what I want to do right now. I've done a lot of radio shows. I've been trying to do as much. I, you know, I set out to do this because I want to help people. Really, the only money I ever, I ever request or ask for or accept um, for doing talks is when I'm talking to audiences of adults because they usually want to be entertained. They read your resume, they read your background, and ooh, let's get them to come talk about and share some stories. And and that's nice because there's still a message that you can deliver. But to be real honest, um, adults are harder to change because they've been in the box so long and they're thinking that it's it's really tough to move the needle. I, I've only found um, per audience that I I really move the needle on about one person. And it's usually, I always joke and I start a lot of my talks like this now. It's how I found um, uh, a Green Beret brother that's now working with me um, in South Carolina. And and I started, I, I didn't have any time to prepare. It was kind of a funny talk. And, and um, um, they flew me out the day before I was a, I was a last minute because uh, the keynote speaker got stuck in a snowstorm kind of a deal. So I had no time to prepare the talk. I wasn't even ready to get on a plane. But anyway, when I got out there, I was so nervous because the guy that spoke before me was just an unbelievable speaker. I mean, headset on, walking around, no notes, just jazzing it up. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to follow that. <laughs> so, but anyway, I got up and I said, you know, I've been back scribbling and scratching all these notes. I've been praying. I've been feeling the Holy Spirit flowing in and out of me so much and so fast. I can't even decipher what he's telling me to say. <laughs> so I said, I'm just going to leave my notes over here. I'm going to step out in the middle. And uh, I feel a little naked. And, you know, I just kind of said, I, uh, I said, I, I'm just going to just go with this. And I said, you know, I learned something as a teacher a long time ago. And I found this out because of students coming back and telling me how much something I said years ago meant to them and how they carried it. And it helped them in a critical time in their life. And I said, you know, there's 500, 600 of you in the audience. And in my mind, I have to prepare a talk or, or speak in such a way as to move you all. As a speaker, you kind of think that way as you're preparing, you know, what what can I say to move the crowd, right, to move the audience, when really it's the sower, right, it's the, the parable of the sower, it's just a single seed, and really your message, and this is what I've learned, is that my message, and it was that day I said, it's, it's for one of you, there's somebody here who's struggling with something, and the Spirit's going to speak to me today, and they're going to hit you like a ton of bricks, and you're going to be listening to me, and my guess is, is that I'm going to walk away from here with another friend, someone else that's going to be working with me, helping me with my mission. Well, the guy in that audience was a former Army Green Beret, and he met me at lunch, listened to my second talk. We talked for two hours before I got on the plane to go home, and I mean, I've flown him out to Monument. He's been out here for helping me with my school safety security modeling efforts with making schools safer for kids. 
Uh, he's now consulting. You can you can actually see Rick. I'm going to mention his name, whether he wants me to or not. <laughs> he's on my website as one of my consultants. He's a very decorated officer uh, in the Army. Um, and uh, it's just been really neat sharing this 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 voyage with him, both with what we see going on uh, with patriotism and rights in the country, um, you know, t- helping him a little bit is, is, you know, I know he's kind of post-combat with, with his mindset and thinking, he's just a great guy. And then just sharing my faith with him because he's a fellow Catholic has just been really wonderful. So, um, you know, I just, I would encourage, um, you know, anybody that wants to reach out to me for speaking venues, you guys, um, you can either go directly through my website. I'll still patch it through to Catholic speakers and Joe Higgins and he'll uh, be my booking agent, or you can go through the Catholic speakers website and just look for me under, uh, through the profile and put in a request to have, have me come speak. But, uh, you know, I, I hope someone listening today, um, you know, gets off the computer and their life's been changed by something we said today. If we, if we did that, we did our job and this was worth all the time that we spent here tonight. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, and I'll tell you, Matt, I know that that's the case um, because uh, the Holy Spirit always makes divine appointments uh, with people in podcasts and radio. So no matter where they're listening uh, from, uh, whether listening live or later uh, on, on uh, the podcast feed, it always happens. It always happens. As, you know, and it inevitably happens when uh, you're least expecting it. You get an uh, email in the inbox, and you say, oh, my gosh, who is that guy? How can I get in touch with him? Or, they just, or, or you might never know, and you uh, learn about it in, uh, in the next life in heaven, like, man, you know, I did this uh, for this person. And so I, I know that's just the nature of the business and nature of the beast uh, with, with, uh, with Catholic radio and with, and with podcasting. So thank you so much for the message of hope that you share with us today. Cause you know, even though we talked about some really tough, um, topics in, in this and some, and, and some hard things, some hard challenges, there's hope in the midst of all of what we're talking about. Uh, there's, you know, Christ, Christ gives us hope, uh, during these times. Our Christian faith gives us hope that, that this will end. And as I've said plenty of times on this podcast before, and I'll say it again, that, uh, you know, one, once you have what you're looking for, once you have what you finally are looking for, whether that's, you know, the increased freedom, the baseball season's back, the NBA's return, whatever it is, you have no, long, you have no longer to hope for it. Hope is the only virtue that once you possess it, you no longer need the virtue of hope. Uh, because if you, because once you have it, you don't hope for it anymore, you have it in your hands. So, um, so I really just encourage you all uh, to head over to Matt's website um, and, and check, check it out further. It's leadershipandlegacy.net, um, and, and that's just one of his websites, uh, of course, but uh, leadershipandlegacy.net is where you can find Matt uh, and, and learn about his uh, you know, mission, his services, presentations, all of this stuff, um, and, and it's just a, a great, great blessing to have you on uh, today's program, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us. We uh, will definitely have you back on. And thank you from me too. And in advance, I'll say happy Father's Day. You're a very good father. Oh, thank you. I try. I I fail a lot too, but uh, I do my best to try to be a good dad. So thank you. It's been wonderful having, working with you both on the show today. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. You too. Well, this has been an episode of Sowing Hope. It's hard to believe that that hour flies by as fast as it does, folks, but it really does. So thank you so much for tuning in uh, tonight and uh, being a part of the program. And uh, don't forget to head over to our Patreon site and check out all the amazing premium content that Fiat Ministry Network puts up with uh, 
with Patchwork Heart Ministry. There's so many great things, including Anne's brand new show, Journeys in Faith, as well. Check it all out on Fiat Ministry Network, Patchwork Heart Ministry. I'm Bill Snyder. Keep beating to your Catholic heart and sowing hope into broken hearts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sowing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or Andy Santos too.